Welcome to the UC Berkeley Data Science Education Podcast. We're happy you're listening in today. In this space, you'll hear from a variety of distinguished data science educators and professionals. The individuals we'll speak with are diverse in experience and perspective, but share the common goal of shaping the future of data science education. Our idea is to have some informal conversations with the goal of creating community and let people hear from practitioners in this growing new field. My name is Eric Van Dusen from Data Science Undergraduate Studies in the Division of Computing, Data Science, and Society at UC Berkeley, and I'll be leading our conversation today. And my name is Kalechi Nebadam, also from Data Science Undergraduate Studies. I'm working as an intern with the division's external pedagogy team, and I'll be helping out today too. Hey, today we have Zach Pardos. Could you give us an introduction to yourself and what you're currently working on? Absolutely. Um, uh, thanks for having me. I'm an associate professor in the School of Education uh, and an affiliate in Cognitive Science and Psychology. Um, and I teach in the Data Science undergrad major. I work on research into adaptive learning um, and AI. And uh, Adaptive learning can be defined as understanding what students are learning in particular contexts, say K-12 STEM, what are the skills that are being learned, when are they being learned, how well are they being learned, uh, how do those skills relate to other skills, um, and then what sequences of skill learning could be advantageous for students given um, data sets that we have from uh, intelligent tutoring systems and other kind of computer adaptive tutoring. And then applying these concepts um, of adaptive tutoring and AI to higher education uh, to see how student navigation of the very complex landscape of higher ed can be improved, how complexity can be reduced and barriers uh, reduced to degree attainment um, in two-year and four-year degree programs. Thank you. That's great. And that sort of uh, begs my second question, which is, uh, just sort of like a, an explanation about what education data science is or like what data science is in the field of education. Yeah, so from the, from the perspective of the domain, I'd say it's um, engaging with nascent data stores, previously un, unexplored or underexplored data types uh, to refine theories of learning uh, and inform educational policies. Uh, oftentimes this involves the use of statistical and computational tools and sometimes development of extensions of those tools. So as an example, we, uh, my lab, which is called Computational Approaches uh, to Human Learning Research, we wanted to uh, develop an algorithm that could project forward an enrollment plan for four years of a, of a student's degree at an institution. We tested this at Berkeley. It could be three years if the student had already completed uh, two semesters, for example, but the intention of the algorithm was that the produced plan would satisfy requirements, but also would be personalized to them, obviously in their major declaration or declarations, um, but also in the courses that they had selected in the semesters they've been at the school thus far. And so we were looking at the various existing recommender system algorithms for doing this, and we wanted to add a feature to this recommender system, this essentially degree plan recommender system that would allow them to personalize the recommended courses to aspirations they had in the future. 
So, so maybe you were early on in your statistics or math or sociology degree, and you just started learning about data science, and you haven't exhibited a pattern of taking data science courses, but you want to in the future. So if an algorithm were to produce that plan for you right now, it wouldn't reflect your future aspirations. So we wanted students to be able to specify the types of courses that they wanted to take more often in the future and for that to affect the algorithm. And there actually didn't exist such an algorithm out there in recommender systems land. Um, so we made modifications to um, uh, a, a popular architecture called BERT, which is a language model, but we adapted it to the recommendation domain and, and published it in an in a AI um, journal. So sometimes you need to adapt those tools um, to achieve certain domain objectives. Nice, thanks. Um, is that Ask Oski? That is. All right, so if somebody's listening and they want to check it out, go to Ask Oski, and it's, it's, it's helpful to, to imagine this sort of work. I wondered if you had any comments on the pandemic and online learning. Was that a giant nas national experiment? Uh, is there stuff that you've evaluated and found to be effective in online learning? Yeah. Um, there's what I've found effective in my own courses. Um, I'll start with that, which is provide a lot of opportunities for engagement. Um, you know, it, it's remote, which naturally tends to feel more remote, um, uh, less engaged. So compensating by allowing for more opportunities of engagement. So uh, with Zoom, chat is responded to immediately, either by myself, I'll stop class to answer a question, or the GSIs are answering in live chat, raising hands, letting people unmute, breakout groups where they can connect with one another and share confusion, share understanding, and make progress as a group. Um, uh, even though the class uh, I teach, for example, in the data science division uh, is rather is somewhat large, has 500 students this semester, I've still kept a Zoom meetings format instead of Zoom webinar, because I want to retain that feature of breakout groups and raising hands and allowing for that, um, that kind of interactive experience. So personally, anecdotally, I've found that to be effective when it comes to online classes, which were a necessity uh, during the pandemic. The institution of Berkeley also funded some research of my lab into the broader picture of what effect the pandemic had on teaching and instruction from the point of view of data logs of the learning management system, which is Canvas called B courses here. Um, and what did that tell us? Could we see any differences in how students submitted their work, how instructors assigned work, graded work, from looking at those logs before, during, and you know, we're now approaching after the pandemic, or we, we are after the pandemic, let's just say it. Um, and uh, the, the results were interesting. Um, one, I, I think the theme was resilience here at Berkeley, um, thankfully. Um, that there was very little difference in the number of course drops that we saw late into the semester during the pandemic semesters, which is, is pretty remarkable. Um, when breaking it down, um, you know, by demographics, uh, there were demographic um, groups um, that showed less engagement in the two weeks after spring break, but then everyone came up to parity uh, in the final weeks of the semester. So th there may have been 
issues with connection, right, and resources when people move back to their home neighborhoods uh, and how well-resourced their environment was to conduct uh, online classes. Um, but there was a lot of resilience. Uh, time to grade assignments did not drop. I know for students, they would like it to, to always increase, and it should, but um, there wasn't a big decrease there. So um, I suppose it was positive in how the school responded, uh, even though it, it took often Herculean efforts um, on the part of the students and teaching staff. Thanks. Um, very interesting. Uh, so have you worked in uh, K-12 as well? Do you want to tell us about some any work that you've done in the K-12 space? Yeah, so um, my background is uh, computer science, uh, bachelor's, master's, PhD, postdoc. And during the PhD, though, is where I started. Actually, I started as an undergrad uh, working in AI and education. But, but during my PhD, I had a, a NSF fellowship that uh, was a bit unusual in that it funded PhD students in STEM uh, to go into a K-12 classroom for eight hours a week and work with a teacher and the students. And the hypothesis behind the program was there would be some kind of interest by osmosis. You're a, you're a K-12 student, you're around these STEM PhDs, and that will inspire you in some way to you know, go into STEM. NSF always wants more you know, people in STEM. And um, my role there was to integrate an intelligent tutoring system, a computer tutoring system, into the classroom uh, to see how it was being interacted with by the students and the teacher and kind of be a go-between between the development team of that tutoring system and the teacher and the students. And then finally, my dissertation was on the data that were being collected in part from the students answering questions uh, in that scenario. Since then, my my lab at Berkeley has continued some computer tutoring system work, but as a bridge from high school to college. So um, kind of early uh, college math courses um, that are adaptive, and we've been developing an open source adaptive tutoring system for the past couple years with completely Creative Commons content so that um, other researchers in what you could call learning engineering or education data science can take this code and uh, modify it and um, do better replication of research because everything about it is is open. All you need is the the research subjects. That's really interesting to hear. Um, I know you've been super active in so many different like spaces in terms of the education field. And our external adoption team is actually like really interested in working on articulation in regards to data science pathways from community colleges to UCs, for example. So would you mind sharing a bit more about your work on using machine learning for articulation? Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely the majority um, focus of the lab right now um, is, is articulation. So what is articulation? Um, it is figuring out uh, what courses at usually a two-year institution, a community college, should count as call, uh, excuse me, should count as credit at a four-year institution? Counting those courses as credit allows for better um, transfer experiences um, of students. Berkeley is, has thirty percent uh, transfer students um, in its incoming class every year, and transfer is a big, um, important part of upward mobility hypothesis of the whole California public education plan. And so articulation really greases the gears of that upward 
um, economic mobility hypothesis. Um, so specifically what the lab has been doing research-wise in this space is analyzing historic enrollment records from community colleges and the, uh, the UC system, as well as um, course catalog descriptions in order to come up with mathematical models for similarity between courses across institutions. Now, um, natural language processing is an obvious start in order to conduct that task, looking how similar catalog descriptions are. But if you're a student, you know how catalog descriptions can sometimes lead you astray. Sometimes they're a little bit information sparse. Um, some of our catalog descriptions are two sentences long at Cal. Um, and so other sources of information would be quite useful in determining if a student really should get credit for that course, because it's a serious determination. If they get credit for a course they shouldn't get, that's just going to hold them back in future courses, right? They may stumble. And so the other source of information that we've found to be very useful for making this course similarity estimation um, is enrollment records, that knowing the context in which students enrolled for a course, so that is the other courses that they enrolled in at the same time or in the previous semester or the next semester creates a kind of signature to that course, a mathematical signature that you can then use as additional signal to do comparisons across institutions. It's sort of like learning the meaning of a new word from the context in which the word is used. That's really cool. I didn't know that there was so much that came into figuring out how to, I don't know, categorize and learn from those, uh, from a student's uh, transcript. So that's really cool to hear. But to pivot back to what you teach here at UC Berkeley, you actually teach a pretty popular course in data mining and analytics that I'm actually a part of, which is really cool. So would you mind telling us a bit more about your vision for that course and how you incorporate what you've learned through your research into your teaching? Yeah, I was super pleased to find that uh, one of the interviewers is a student in the class. So great to have you in both places. So the vision is hands-on, real-world, applied kind of practice. Well, I should say that the, the class Data Mining Analytics, it is in one part an introduction to data engineering, feature engineering, and secondly, an introduction to um, principles in machine learning, and then a little bit of advanced neural networks or medium um, uh, experience uh, with neural networks. Not quite the state of the art, but perhaps the previous generation. Um, and along the way, it's meant to foster a kind of design skill that I think is essential to data science, which is orienting data analysis and application of machine learning towards stakeholder benefits or outcomes in a domain or context, right? Not just blindly applying a machine learning algorithm to pr better predict a dependent variable, but rather what does this have to do with benefit to someone somewhere somehow? Right? And so every lab in the course progressively has um, the learners making more decisions about how to make those design decisions such that their analysis may be of some conceivable benefit uh, in, in the real world. The second half of the vision um, is that machine learning concepts should be accessible. Um, they often have origins and theories from cognitive science. Um, or have been refined formulations of intuitive decision processes. So every piece of new material is first grounded in a 
uh, intuitive, it's supposed to be intuitive, kind of intuition building exercise. That's a breakout group exercise where, where basically I'll, I'll uh, lay out an example scenario with some data and have the students try to come up with an answer under constraints that has them essentially re-learning for themselves how to build a decision tree without any previous knowledge given to them in this class, at least, of how, it, how a decision tree works. And then when decision trees are formally introduced or neural networks, um, there's now a, an intuitive basis um, that students have to um, further refine that intuition. And, then, and they can jump over to that new paradigm or they can refine their current intuition, um, but it, it's delivered with the idea that machine learning concepts uh, can be accessible. I totally agree. I see the vision coming through and how you're teaching the class. And whenever I ask anybody, they've only ever mentioned good things. So really enjoying it so far. But since I personally have never heard of education data science, I kind of want to know your thoughts on that field. So what do you think the future of education data science is? And how do you think it'll continue to evolve? Well, I, I think it'll continue to uh, reveal novel structures of learning and academic progress. So one way to think about what data science plus the domain means is that the data science part is picking up on novel patterns from large data sets, but then the domain part is adding semantics to those patterns, right? What does the structure mean? What parts of the structure are likely idiosyncratic? Um, what parts of the structure may have causal relationships to some outcome that the domain values, like learning, like um, student success outcomes, degree attainment. Uh, and I think education data science will continue to pioneer those nascent data sets. And what I hope it does is also integrate tightly with policymakers, right? Um, data science alone isn't going to dictate policy, but it can inform policy. Um, but I think we need to do more than uh, just put the information out there. We need to be in conversation with policymakers, with administrators, um, with decision makers, so that it can be kind of a joint learning process of how data scientists, domain experts, policymakers, and AI, which is essentially a nascent kind of budding expertise, uh, can collaborate. That's really exciting to hear. Um, to end this interview, we wanted to take a chance to ask you one question, and it's, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for data science educators around the world? That's a big question. Um, I wouldn't presume that they need advice, but um, I would give uh, some lessons learned of, of my own, um, building on the data mining course uh, lessons learned. So one is be inquiry oriented. Try to foster self-guided inquiry in the students in the class. There aren't techniques that are appropriate all of the time. The whole idea of data science is that every data set is actually different. I, I think that's an important thing to understand. Um, that's perhaps a different frame of mind than other disciplinary perspectives on data. And therefore, um, students should take a different lens towards every data set. Uh, there should be try where you can to have open-ended questions. They're harder to grade, but it does foster students thinking for themselves 
more and more, which is a valuable skill when it comes to workforce or, or research. In terms of research findings, uh, uh, we have done some research that informs ways of approaching teaching and including of, of data science. So one of our recent results uh, in a paper called uh, Credit Hours is Not Enough uh, studied um, how students' perception of the workload of courses corresponds to the instructional design of the course. Um, and a couple findings. One was that students find it uh, considerably less psychologically stressful the longer an assignment is released before it is due. So we were able to you know, come up with a bunch of features of how people design their courses based on um, learning management system data from Canvas. And that was one of those features that very highly correlated with less psychological stress is just put out your materials in advance so, so students can plan. Um, secondly, courses that have high prerequisite, number of prerequisites listed, um, also correlated very highly with workload, with psychological stress, mental effort, and time load. And so the way that I incorporate that into my teaching is that even though the course does have a prerequisite, which is data 100, and knowing Python, I do my best to start as close to zero with the topics as, as possible. Now, I can't start at zero with learning Python, but with the other topics, that leads into the accessibility of machine learning, right? Start from explaining it in a very accessible way, uh, because even if students do have the prerequisite, it doesn't mean they just took the prerequisite and finished it yesterday, right? And even if they did just finish the midterm yesterday for that class, there's a lot you forget right after you've um, finished the midterm. So the, the heavier the prerequisite the load, the more effort I think educators um, should put into refreshing students on those subjects. Thank you. Yeah, thank great. you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about data science education resources, please subscribe to our Substack to get notified when we release any future podcasts. And join our community Slack channel through the link provided in this episode's description. Thank you.